This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is the English Heritage Podcast. Hello and welcome to your weekly podcast into England's past. I'm Charles Rowe. You can stream and download new episodes every Thursday, so make sure to subscribe to stay up to date. Today we're talking about Restormal Castle, right in the middle of Cornwall. It stands out among English Heritage's medieval castles in terms of architecture. There's nothing else like it anywhere in the country. It stands in a landscape of great beauty, with a deep valley flanked by high hills and thickly wooded. And it stands out because of its longevity. Some of what we see now would be recognisable to someone from the 13th or 14th centuries. But how did this place come into being? How should we understand the interplay between the castle and its surroundings? How did it come to be ruined? And what parts of its ancient history can we still see today? To find out more about this intriguing Cornish castle, we're joined by Head Properties Curator Dr Jeremy Ashby. Hello, Charles. Lovely to be back with you. Thank you for coming on. Well, to start with, can you tell us where Restormal Castle is exactly and also describe the general site? Okay, right. I hope everyone has a reasonable idea of where Cornwall is. It's the bottom left-hand corner of the island of Great Britain. So it's the peninsula that's running out towards uh, the the Atlantic, uh, the very end of it. And within Cornwall, Restormal is bang slap in the middle. If you think of Cornwall starting at its eastern border with Devon as the River Tamar and going all the way to Farland's End, right in the middle, pretty much running from the north to the south coast, there are two important rivers that there's a narrow gap between them. And Restormal is on the southern of those rivers, the one that flows out into the channel. So it's the River Foy, and that's where it stands. So in terms of towns, it's if you think about Bodmin, which is quite an important town in the middle of Cornwall, it's about five miles south of Bodmin. Or from the other direction, it's about 10 miles north of the town of Foy, which is the estuary of the River Foy. Yes, and also worth saying, if people are trying to look up Foy, the river or the town, that it is spelt in an interesting way. It's F-O-W-E-Y, and apologies to all friends in Cornwall uh, for the some of the indignities that are going to be committed on your beautiful language today, um, but Foy is how I pronounce it. So what does the castle itself look like? It's, it's quite an interesting uh, shape, yeah. isn't it? It's a very interesting shape. And I've always said that Restormal is one of those places that if anyone should be so evil as to kidnap a castle specialist, put them in a helicopter and fly them up and then take the blindfold off, you would actually we'd know where we were because it's very distinctive. It's almost a perfect circle. When you look at it from above, it's got a curtain wall running around the outside and then radiating inwards from that are a whole series of buildings that formerly had actually a quite regular plan and then a central courtyard in the middle of the structure. It's geometrically really, really good. It's almost perfect. And it's the only castle surviving in England that's designed on that principle. Historically, there was actually one other, 
uh, that was actually built a little bit later and may even have been inspired by Restormal, but that doesn't exist anymore. So Restormal is all there is. It's the circular castle. Wow, uh, it's amazing, isn't it? Uh, to me, it also sort of almost looks like a crown sitting on a mound in the landscape. Well, interesting you should say that, because that's something that we might possibly come back to. When we get on to talking about the architecture, or actually, as well as talking about what it does, actually trying to explain a little bit about where this extraordinary design might come from and why they've chosen it is something else that, that we should talk about. But the theme of talking about Restormal today, I didn't only want to talk about the castle, because hopefully in the aerial view that our kidnapped castle specialist would get, you'd be able to see something else that's really important about Restormal, that its setting is really beautiful. It stands in beautiful rolling countryside. In fact, I've talked already about the River Foy that's flowing southwards into the channel. And Restormal Castle is actually set right on the edge of where the slope on the western bank of the River Foy actually sort of becomes very, very steep indeed. So the castle has a very commanding view down into the valley. And if you look at it the other way, if you're actually down in the valley and the modern railway line that actually is taking you all the way to Penzance goes along the Foy Valley, you actually see Restormal Castle's battlements up on the skyline. So it's beautifully visible. But that landscape history is actually a very important part of its site. It's very important that we, for once, we don't consider Restormal as a castle in isolation. Actually, its setting is everything. On that note, are there any similarities between Restormal and other castles in Cornwall in terms of the way that they're placed in the landscape? Well, yes and no. Some of the other castles that we've talked about, and I have to at this point mention Tintagel Castle, which has cropped up a number of times in English Heritage podcasts. That's another castle whose landscape is very dramatic and very important to it. But of course, it's a different landscape. It's a visible castle, but it stands on this rocky headland sticking out of the north coast. And this Restormal, as I'm saying, is a wooded green setting. But I think what I would argue is that actually Restormal and Dunstanborough, another castle that I've talked about on a previous podcast, actually tell us that when we were only thinking about castles as stone features, we were missing a trick. Because actually, I think that to their designers and to their early occupants, actually, it would have been entirely appropriate to think about them as being part of a designed landscape. That wasn't something that was invented in the modern period by people like Humphrey Repton or Capability Brown, you know, that we know about for the designs of 18th and 19th century country houses. Actually, the builders of some medieval castles may have thought in that way. And I think Restormal is one of those sites that actually gives us a lot of interesting insights into that. Hmm. So what do we know about the early history of Restormal? Is there any evidence of pre-medieval settlement of this area going way back into prehistory? Yeah, well, maybe not way back into prehistory. The first thing that we know about at Restormal is actually a Roman fort. And that's really interesting in the context of Cornwall, because until quite recently, there used to be a version that the Romans sort of stopped at Exeter. They didn't really go an awful lot further into the West. Now, Cornish archaeologists have long known that that actually wasn't true, that there are Roman roads, there are Roman way markers, uh, mileposts, if you like, that have been found. And a certain amount of evidence for other settlements, perhaps villas sometimes, and even Roman forts. And Restormal is one of 
Three really interesting ones that have been known about. Restormal, as I say, is on the crest of the River Foy. There's another one not that far away, a little bit further to the north, called Nanstalen. That's near Bodmin. And right on the eastern border of Cornwall, on the River Tamar, is another fort called Calstock. Now, all of those forts, they actually have something in common in terms of their landscape setting. They're all on these major rivers. And an archaeologist in Cornwall once told me something that I really hadn't spotted at all, that each of them is at the point on the river where the tide is the tidal limit, as you were, the point at which the tide is not coming up, up any further. Now, that can't be a coincidence. And it must be telling us something that those three forts were all sighted specifically at that point on these three major rivers. That must be something to do with, I would say, trade or communication, but probably trade about people going up and down the rivers and the forts are are watching over the critical points at which the tide ceases to sort of wash you up the river at at certain times. So that's all quite interesting. And they survive, you can actually see them in certain lighting conditions from the battlements of the castle, only about 100 metres or so further away, the earthworks of a Roman fort that was there. Then It's all a bit of a mystery, Charles. After that, we don't really have very much. We don't know what's going on in the early medieval period. And actually, I'd love to be able to say, as some of our predecessors used to, oh, it must have been founded in the first years after William the Conqueror and the Normans come and invade. But actually, we really can't be certain about that either, that the first Norman castles in Cornwall that we know about, like Launston Castle, it's another one that's probably going to come up quite a lot in this podcast, were very close to the eastern border, the border with Devon. So Launston Castle and Tremerton Castle is another one that are on the eastern border. And as I say, Restormal is right in the middle. We don't actually know when the castle was established. It could have been established by the early Normans, but in my opinion, it's actually just as likely, or maybe even more likely, that it was founded probably the best part of a century after. In the middle of the 12th century, there's a period called the Anarchy, which isn't sounding that great, is it? And that's a period when actually there's a civil war in various parts of England between supporters of King Stephen, one of the claimants to the throne, and supporters of the Empress Matilda. And they all fight it out. And it actually sometimes order breaks down. And that's a time when we know that quite a lot of castles are established by local warlords, actually for their own protection. So I think it's just as possible that Restormal Castle may be founded then. All I can say for certain, and this is really not that great, is that it's founded sometime before the 1260s, the middle of the 13th century. That is the point at which we first get a documentary reference to Restormal Castle as something that already existed. So its early history is really extremely nebulous. We don't actually know anything certain about it. But um, one thing we do know is this connection to Richard, Earl of Cornwall, I believe, someone who, who, who we have profiled in episode 73, if you want to go back and have a listen to that one. He had Tintagel Castle built 25 miles north of Restormal Castle on the Cornish coast, the, the North Cornwall coast. So I believe there's this connection with Richard and Restormal? Yeah, there is. And I think it's a really important one. Now, People need to listen to the Tintagel one that my friend Michael Carter did to refresh their memories. That would all be great because Richard of Cornwall is a fascinating character. He is, okay, this is the 13th century we're talking about. 
And Richard of Cornwall is the younger brother of King Henry III. He is not a great warrior by any means. He's a clever man. He's a very cultured man. And he's a very, very rich man because his brother Henry had given him Cornwall, had made him Earl of Cornwall and given him lots of territory. And the territory that he had in Cornwall included a monopoly on the mining of tin, a commodity very important in the history of Cornwall that made Richard a very, very rich man. So as Michael talked about in another podcast, for all sorts of interesting reasons, Richard, as you say, in the 1230s, established a castle at Tintagel on the site of where there had been some other settlement before, but probably not a castle. And Michael's idea, and I absolutely buy this, is that he, with all his culture and and knowledge, was very interested in some of the mythology around the figure of King Arthur and the figures of Tristan and Isolde and wanted to have a castle that actually plugged him into that kind of very, very prestigious mythology. So Richard of Cornwall, in the year 1268, Richard of Cornwall becomes the owner of Restormal. The process by which he becomes the owner of Restormal is something that historians have got rather interested in at the moment. And what actually happens is that Restormal is given to him by a widowed lady, Isolde de Tracy, who's the last surviving member of a really important Cornish family, the Cardinum family. For people that actually that are following the whole English heritage portfolio, Penhallam Manor, it's another property that's not that far away, a little at the northeast corner of Cornwall, Penhallam Manor, also belonged to the Cardinum family. And actually going and visiting that, you can see some things about an unfortified manor that they owned. But in 1268, what Richard gets is a castle that already existed, but that's part of a much, much bigger package. He also gets a town. He gets the town of Lostwithiel, which very importantly is only a mile to the south of Restormal Castle. He gets a deer park at Restormal. He gets a fishery on the River Foy. So it's actually quite large and important estate. Historians have tried to work out why Isolde gave it to him. And actually, the the, the present version is that he somehow strong-armed her into doing it, quite actually how this might be. I, I suspect that he wasn't threatening her to say, give me this castle or you know, a large army with heavy weaponry will be coming around and doing unspeakable things to you. But I suspect that somehow he managed to get various of his friends and subordinates in there to convince her to actually make this property over to him. And anyway, certainly what we find out is that by 1268, he got this quite large and multifaceted estate. And how long did he actually have possession of Restormal Castle? Right. Well, he gets it in 1268 and in 1272, he dies. So he's only had four years to do anything with it. And in as much as we know anything about the last years of Richard's life, He doesn't really seem to be doing a great deal in person about Cornwall. That Richard, as you know, had got many irons in the fire. And something that Michael had talked about is that he, in 1257, had managed to get various important figures in Germany to elect him to this amazing sounding title, King of the Romans or King of the Germans. And it was pretty certain that his agenda in all of this was to actually get a much, much bigger and more prestigious title to have himself elected Holy Roman Emperor, which actually would have been even better than his brother, Henry III, King of England, an emperor trumps a king. As it happens, he wasn't that successful. His 
fabled skills in diplomacy rather let him down and rival claimants grew up. And so I think the last four years of his life, he's he's actually trying to convince people to come around and vote for him because the Holy Roman Emperor is an elected post. It's elected by bishops and by important barons and landowners in Germany, trying to get them all on side and failing to do it. So it's very unlikely that he's actually doing an awful lot in terms of building works in Restormal his remote site. And I suspect that he may have done little more than actually just scope out that he was going to rebuild what must have been a quite small scale castle. It probably had a bit of stone building, a gatehouse seems to be built in stone, and it may have had a number of stone towers around its perimeter. But other than that, I think it probably was a fairly unimpressive structure, most of it in timber. And it's actually his son Edmund, Earl of Cornwall, who inherits in 1272, who seems to have done all the work at Restormal. Now, Edmund, I don't think we've actually spoken a great deal about him before in podcasts, and he repays a bit of interest, although he's actually quite an obscure character. He's much less well-known, much less talked about than his father is. To me, he sounds really interesting. He'd inherited everything that Earl Richard owned, actually, as the oldest son. So he becomes Earl of Cornwall. He has the tin mines. He has this this great, great wealth. And much of what we encounter Edmund doing is actually as a sort of banker to the crown. So he's lending money to the king and he's lending money to other landowners. He's a bit better as a warrior and war leader than his father had been. So actually, during Edward the First becomes king in 1272 as well. Henry the Third also dies in that year. So, and as we know, Edward the First is very warlike. So sometimes Edward the First, when he goes to war in Wales, for example, in 1276-1277, actually Edmund of Cornwall is one of his military commanders during those wars. He does fight. But at other times, when Edward goes out of the country completely, so he goes to Gascony, for example, a part of France where the English have possessions, Edmund actually becomes the regent of England. He's completely in charge of the royal government around. So when you said "Mm, the circular castle looks a bit like a crown, I think that might be rather interesting because certainly there were some times in the late 1280s when Edmund actually might have been very like a royal figure. He's already a member of the royal family, but he's actually in charge of the royal government. And it seems to be at that sort of time that Restormal Castle is coming to its completion. So thank you very much for the idea of it looking like a crown. I think, you know, you may be onto something there. Well, I think that's really interesting uh, from a sort of artistic point of view, you know, for, for lovers of landscapes and uh, paintings and that sort of thing. You can sort of see these images emerging, but um, perhaps I'm just being overly poetic. But obviously, maybe it didn't start off with that design. Obviously, it was built in this sort of, as you say, nebulous period where we don't really know when and for whom. Um, and then suddenly well, it sort of okay. passed on, I, didn't it? But I mean, starting off by saying we don't know anything, I am now going to join you in this sort of romantic you know, phase of conjecture. I think, you know, we can allow ourselves to do that a bit. And context, I think, actually tells us quite a lot of things. So, Let's explore a few bits of context. There's one really important bit of historical context that I think makes quite a lot of sense of everything that follows. Now, as I said, I think Restormal Castle is probably built most of it by Earl Edmund in the 1270s and 1280s. It seems to be finished by 1290 because we get the first of a very small number of documents that Earl Edmund actually witnesses while staying at Restormal. So it must be 
fit to be occupied by 1290. And one really important bit of context is that in the 1280s, we think, Earl Edmund moves his capital in Cornwall. Up until this point, it had been at Lanston on the eastern border of Cornwall, very close to the River Tamar. That had been the capital of Cornwall. And Launston Castle, we are just this summer actually putting in some new interpretation that talks about this, that it was the place from which the English tried to govern Cornwall. It was where the principal courthouses were. It was the main residence for the ruling aristocrats of Cornwall. It was the courthouse, all that, that and it was the prison, all that kind of thing. Suddenly, about 1280, Earl Edmund does something different. He moves the capital of Cornwall from Launston right into the middle of Cornwall to the town of Lostwithiel, which, as I'd said, is just on the doorstep of Restormal Castle, just to the south of Restormal, you can see the town from the battlements of Restormal Castle. And it's right in the centre. And he seems to make it his capital. So the town of Lostwithiel that had formerly, you know, not been particularly big and important is suddenly quite considerably expanded and it's replanned. And I think, you know, why did he do this? I think it's something that actually we don't know, but I think we have a very, very good idea with a speculation that I hope most people would agree with, that what Lostwithiel had an enormous advantage that Lonston didn't have in that it's really quite close to some of the major tin-producing areas of Cornwall. And particularly, Lostwithiel is just downstream on the River Foy from a large tin producing area on Bodmin Moor, that the high ground, a little bit to the north of Restormal and Lostwithiel. And Lostwithiel at this time, you can't really appreciate this now, but the River Foy was still navigable by seagoing ships right up until that point. Now the River Foy at that point is really quite narrow for a reason that I'm going to get to in a minute that's actually quite well connected to Restormal Castle. But at that point, actually, the Foy Valley at this point was deeply flooded. The river was very, very wide and Lostwithiel was actually a port that seagoing ships were using. So it's a perfect place for the tin to be brought down from the high ground downstream to Restormal and Lostwithiel for the tin to be processed, for it to be assayed, for all the documentation of it to be there and from there for it to be shipped out. So that's something that's really quite important that's happening about 1280. And I think that's a very, very important bit of local historical context. Now, there's another interesting bit of architectural historical context, which is something that I've particularly been interested in. It comes back to where we started this, this idea of Restormal Castle as a geometrically perfect circular castle. Now, geometrically perfect castles is something that suddenly actually you get quite a lot of in the last quarter of the 13th century. As I've already mentioned, this is a time when there's quite a lot of wars going on in various parts of the United Kingdom around the figure of the, the very sort of almost pathologically aggressive King Edward I. He goes to war with Wales three times, actually, between the 1270s and the 1290s. He also goes to war with Scotland, and unlike in Wales, which he does succeed in conquering, he doesn't ever succeed in completely conquering and crushing Scotland. So a lot of castles are actually either being newly built or they're being created at this time. And when you look at some of these castles, you actually see that geometric plans is something that there's quite a lot of going around that time. So to take one really lovely example from Scotland, 
in Dumfries and Galloway, in the southeast corner of Scotland, there's a beautiful castle called Caerlaverock Castle that's looked after by Historic Environment Scotland. And it has the plan of an equilateral triangle when you look at it from the air. In Wales, there's a castle that sadly is very fragmentary, a place called Holt. We don't actually see that much of it, but recently archaeologists and architectural historians have worked on it and they've found that it actually took the form of a regular pentagon. There's a very well-known castle in the Isle of Anglesey that Edward I also built, Beaumaris Castle, and that takes the form of a square inside an octagon. And all of these, you know, they're planned very, very sort of, you know, neatly, very regularly, but obviously drawn out before they started building, almost as it were on graph paper, you know, with a technical drawing pen. So in that kind of architectural context, I think that Restormal Castle actually, you know, fits very nicely that we've had a, a regular equilateral triangle, we've had octagons, we've had squares, we've had a pentagon. So actually a perfect circle, that all fits quite well. There's one other example that I think might be pertinent and might suggest that actually the idea of this came from our old friend Richard of Cornwall. But here, you know, I've got to put out, you know, a health warning that I'm sort of making this up a bit as I go along. But as I said, Richard of Cornwall was quite interested in becoming Holy Roman Emperor, though he never quite managed it. And on the continent of Europe, there's one other castle that's really quite famous as a geometrically perfect castle. It is actually in Puglia, the heel of Italy. And it's a castle with the Italian name Castel del Monte, the castle on a hill. And it's a perfect octagon, again, with rooms and buildings ringing a central courtyard inside that's very, very regular. And it's got turrets on each of the corners. If you if people look up Castel del Monte, they'll see what, what we mean. And it's sometimes described with terms as the geometrical marvel of the Middle Ages. It's a very, very fine piece of castle architecture. And who had built Castel del Monte? A previous Holy Roman Emperor, probably the most famous of the medieval Holy Roman Emperors, Emperor Frederick II, sometimes nicknamed the Wonder of the World. And as I say, Richard of Cornwall, as a cultured man who knew quite a lot of things, I bet he looked at the idea of this kind of geometric castle over there and thought, yeah, I'll have one of them. Thank you very much. So I think the whole architectural context is certainly pointing us towards the idea of building these castles as architectural showpieces rather than as militarily very clever and defensible pieces of architecture. And Restormal is certainly one of the finest of those. I think it really gives the lie to the idea that all the quality of medieval architecture was in cathedrals and abbeys, that actually castles could be very, very sophisticated works of architecture as well. Yes, and taking your ideas a little bit further, and we're moving into even deeper theoretical territory here. We've talked in previous podcasts, especially in episode 73, about Richard Earl of Cornwall's Tintagel Castle, which he had built to sort of come out of this myth of uh, Tristan and Isolde and uh, King Arthur. Perhaps Prostormal is this other side to him as well, where, as you've described, he's got ambitions to be king. He's, he's not going to be because of his brother being in the way, but he's sort of um, playing with these ideas. It's almost symbols of what he'd like to be in his own head. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, let's develop this idea a little a little bit further that, OK, he's never going to be king of England. There are too many other people in the way and he's not from the line that, that are going to do that. But as the master of Cornwall, 
he can try to live up to certain ideas about actually having a, a sort of royal status over the people of Cornwall. This is definitely something that we're going to be talking about a little bit when we get into the 14th century and talk about the establishment of the Duchy of Cornwall. But yeah, I mean, you know, there is no other figure. And, you know, Cornwall is is in the Middle Ages, as some people believe that it still is actually should be regarded today, very, very self-contained in its way. You know, culturally, it has the Cornish language that the English language had not really penetrated very deeply into Cornish society. And actually trying to sort of make yourself, as it were, almost like a local king is actually something quite interesting and important to do. And if that idea is right, Restormal Castle actually may not be the only manifestation of this, because as I've already said, in the same time as he's building Restormal Castle, Earl Edmund is doing things in the town of Lostwithiel. He's developing it. And actually, another building of, of Edmund, Earl of Cornwall, survives within Lostwithiel. You can go and see it's called the Duchy Palace. And it's actually what you get now is one very heavily altered building, sometimes called the Convocation Hall. That was formerly part of something much, much bigger, an enormous residential complex with a great hall, with a number of chambers, with kitchens, with with other stuff of that kind. And actually, it has certain architectural details that are very unusual in the United Kingdom. And particularly one thing that it has its chamber, which is the convocation hall that still survives, was clearly on the same axis. It stood at one end of the Great Hall, which actually is now fragments of it do survive incorporated into later houses. And one other place that's planned on that way is, wait for it, the Palace of Westminster, the central palace of the kings of England. So I'm wondering whether Earl Edmund actually was building himself a little Palace of Westminster down in the centre of his own territory of Cornwall, and that Restormal Castle actually was his get away from it all, his his uh, rather nice sort of country retreat away from the busyness of that town. But it all sort of starts to add up to someone with a very, very high opinion of himself and a very high opinion of his own status within society and making sure that his buildings and his material culture actually amply reflected what he thought about himself. I wonder if he privately called himself King of Cornwall. Uh, well, <laughs> if he did, he did it all in private. Yeah. I, actually, at this moment, I've just got to say one thing, which I don't agree, but some other people may think is fantastic. A previous guidebook to Restormal Castle, its author actually speculated about this kind of thing and said, a round castle, is it possible that it might be a round table? That this is another example of that Arthurian myth going on a little bit. To which I think, well... Okay, I can't find any evidence that Earl Edmund actually, you know, had a specifically King Arthur idea in his mind. But I can't have it both ways. I have previously said, and I stick to it, that the family have got form with the Arthurian legend. So it is entirely possible that that might be the case. And as I've said, this is something that is picked up in later development. We know that King Edward III in the 14th century did get really interested in King Arthur and he even built a circular palace, it doesn't survive anymore, in the bailey of Windsor Castle that he had actually had the name the House of the Round Table and that archaeologists have actually dug bits of this up and looked at it and you know, in some reconstructions it doesn't look completely unlike Restormal Castle. So I'm not sure that I think he got an Arthur thing going on when he was building it, but others of our listeners may think, actually, look, that sounds really attractive as an idea, and it might be worth taking forward. 
Yes, very interesting, isn't it? I love all these ideas. It's great because we can never be wrong exactly. But no, we, this we... is look. Thank you. That's exactly my feeling about it. Yeah. We will never know, and as long as I'm not putting this stuff out as being unqualified truth, then I think we are absolutely, you know, doing these podcasts on a Thursday morning. We are absolutely right to be allowed to speculate. I think we're allowed to dream a bit, and uh, that's for me is one of the most useful things I think that these podcasts can do. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to go into a little bit of, uh, of, of ambitious speculation. I hope we'll do a little bit more before we finish today. A- absolutely, but let's get into some firm facts and talk about the relevance of the modern duchy of Cornwall to where it all started, because obviously that's important, isn't it? Yeah, delighted to do this. Okay, right. The Duchy of... We're now jumping ahead a little bit. So I say, Earl Edmund, he dies in 1300, leaving no heirs. And the Earldom of Cornwall becomes sort of you know vacant for a bit it actually briefly goes through a period when edward ii who becomes king in 1307 gives the earldom of cornwall including restormal and tintagel castle to his favorite and possible lover piers gaveston and we talked a little bit about that relationship in the podcast about dunstanborough castle last year but piers i don't think ever goes to cornwall he doesn't do anything with restormal castle and we know that from a slightly later document that Restormal Castle was starting to show the cracks around this time. It wasn't well well looked after. And then we jump ahead to 1337. And in 1337, King Edward III establishes this institution called the Duchy of Cornwall. As you've said, the Duchy of Cornwall is not just a historical thing. It actually still exists today, and it's a very important institution. And Restormal Castle is a part of the Duchy of Cornwall. English Heritage manages it, but It actually belongs to the duchy. Now, the duchy, as I say, was created in 1337. And the first Duke of Cornwall, this is the first royal duke of any title that was actually made in the Middle Ages, was his six-year-old son, Edward, Edward of Woodstock, who I suspect not many people actually know who Edward of Woodstock is. But if I say the word the Black Prince, then people hopefully will go, oh, him. And it's the same chap. He becomes known as the Black Prince, actually, I think not during his own lifetime. And of course, later he gets another title as Prince of Wales. But in 1337, his first big title is to be made Duke of Cornwall. Duke is the highest rank of nobility in England. And until this time, all the most important nobles had been earls. So this is a very, very big deal. And it still exists today. So His Royal Highness Prince Charles, who is also, as you know, the Prince of Wales, is the Duke of Cornwall. The rule is that the title Duke of Cornwall gets awarded automatically at birth to the firstborn male child of the monarch. It's not a matter of choice in it. When a male child of the monarch comes along, he gets the title Duke of Cornwall. The rules say that it doesn't go to female children. So if the monarch actually has no sons, the title of Duke of Cornwall disappears for a bit. It reverts to the crown and the Duchy of Cornwall is owned by the crown. But on his birth, Prince Charles became Duke of Cornwall. And the question of what the duchy was actually made in the Middle Ages to do and what it does today is actually a rather tricky one. And I'm a bit sorry that we're actually doing this podcast without someone from the duchy actually to be able to talk about it because actually they... I know we'll we'll have a view. So I've got to qualify what I say as being, you know, what 
I read from historicals what modern historians are saying and what historical documents say. But I think no one would argue with the fact that in the Middle Ages, just as today, the Duchy of Cornwall was established as an estate that provided an income for the heir to the throne. And a really important part of this, of course, was the tin industry. So the earls of Cornwall had owned the tin industry as a monopoly, and that came over now to the duchy. The duke owned it. And the duchy still actually, you know, owns very substantial land with tenants providing rent. Tin isn't actually a major commodity anymore, but there's a lot of agricultural land, other natural resources such as timber. And all the land of the duchy has actually never been confined to Cornwall. It's actually always had land outside. So off the mainland, the Isles of Scilly, for example, are part of the Duchy of Cornwall. But there's other bits of England that also belong to the Duchy. So the London Borough of Kennington, rather oddly, is part of the estate of the Duchy of Cornwall. And that's a place where the Black Prince, Edward of Woodstock, used to have another palace. And in fact, this isn't the only property that English Heritage manages now that belongs to the Duchy of Cornwall. Berkhamsted Castle, just to the north of London, actually belongs to the Duchy. So the Duchy is really quite important. As I say, it was created in 1337. And at that time, Restormall Castle became one of the properties of the Duchy. Now, sorry to tell you an anecdote about the life of a historian, but I just need to do this. I mean, I've been really interested in researching the Duchy and Restormall Castle for about the last 10 years since I visited the place and fell in love with its beauty and its architectural interest. I really wanted to know what all these little rooms around the the circular courtyard were. But I also wanted to look up certain documents. And the National Archives has got a number of really, really important documents. And it's got one really precious one above all. The National Archives, it's got a document that's, that's sometimes known to historians by this rather tricky name, the caption of Sazin. And people think, well, what's that all about? Sazin, S-E-I-S-I-N. What it actually is, it's a great survey of the Duchy of Cornwall made at the moment when the Duchy was created. And I always love calling this up when I go to the National Archives because it comes in this huge box. It's actually quite, it's all rolled up, but it's actually quite a big fat document. It's got huge amounts of detail in it. You know, if I wanted to know who are the people that live in the town of Lostwithiel? How much property have they got? And who are they paying rent to? And how much? It's just listed it all out. It's got all this kind of stuff. It's a beautifully written document. The scribe that wrote it wrote in a very easy to read hand. But it has one other detail that I really, really love. That It comes, as I say, in this quite big cardboard box. You have to take it out. And on the top lid of the cardboard box, some modern historian well thinking about it has written just two words, lucky you. And I always think, yeah, because actually as a historian to have a document this rich, it really is a real privilege to actually get something like this to play with. So yeah, lucky me. I get to take it out. I get to roll through it until I find the bit about Restormal Castle. And actually, there's a huge description, a really useful description about Restormal Castle. I'm not going to read it all, but I'll just um, give you a bit of a flavour about it. So it says, in this place, there is a castle well walled around and inside the walls of the same castle, there are a hall. There are three chambers and cellars to all of them. There is a chapel in which the glass of the largest window is broken and needs swift repairs if it is not to decay further. And in the same chapel is an alabaster stone figure of St. Mary said to be valuable and two bells 
of which one weighing 100 pounds came from the hermitage of the late brother Robert. There is a stable for six horses, three chambers over the gate, poorly roofed in lead. The leaves of the same gate of the same castle are weak and insufficient. And it goes on and on about this. It's actually describing in quite a lot of detail the ruined buildings that I can see, but actually giving us a little bit of detail about it. You know, the alabaster figure of St. Mary in the chapel, of course, is long gone. So have the bells, but it's sort of giving us a real flavour to it. And of course, what it's saying is that Rostormal Castle in 1337 had seen better days, that actually it really needed something quite quick done to it, or actually it was going to start to fall apart. That's really interesting, isn't it? So what does the Black Prince then do to Rostormal Castle during his time? The Black Prince does a lot to Rostormal Castle in his time. It's greatly to his credit. It needed repairs, and under the Black Prince, it gets them. So, you know, I've talked about the caption of Sazin, which is the survey, and it says what needs to do. But there's another nicely named document in the National Archives called the White Book of Cornwall. And the White Book of Cornwall is the accounts of what actually the Black Prince genuinely does. And it's truly wonderful. He mends the castle. There's quite a lot of references to him, actually, to the workmen that are doing the work. There are carpenters, there are stonemasons, there are a lot of roofers. There's a lot of work that needs doing to the roof. And that tells us that some of the buildings were roofed in lead and some of the buildings were actually roofed in a sort of fissile slate stone, which actually you can mine quite close uh, in that area of Cornwall. But rather interestingly, it doesn't all stop at the castle. And this is the point where we start to get really interested in the landscape. I'd already said that the property of Restormal, when Earl Richard had acquired it in 1268, contained a park. And I think I probably need to explain a little bit about what I mean by a park. This is not Crystal Palace Park. This is not a public amenity. This is a private estate that exists for a number of purposes, but primarily it's there for the leisure of the high-ranking occupant who's there. And when I say leisure, I basically mean hunting. That medieval aristocrats, their quintessential pursuit is to get in the saddle and go out and find and kill wildlife. And this is a deer park. And the Black Prince does a lot to the deer park at Restormal. It was always actually the largest park in Cornwall. But we know that it had a problem with poachers. So he strengthens the perimeter. He builds a wall in some places where there wasn't one. He digs a deep ditch so that deer that may be outside may jump in, but not jump back out. And particularly, he wants to keep poachers out. We know, I talked briefly, talking about the bells, about one of the bells came from a hermitage. And this is a subject on which I can become seriously boring. So I'm not going to say that much more, except that we know that the Black Prince continues an existing tradition of endowing hermits within the park. And he actually refounds a hermitage that we now know where it is. It's actually down at the bottom next to the River Four. He refounds it with a dedication to the Holy Trinity, which is a dedication that he loves. And there's a chaplain who's established there all the time to pray for the Duke of Cornwall and for his family living and dead. We also know that Um, With his interest in the tin industry, he says that he wants to tighten up security around the tin industry. And he says that certain operations concerning the tin industry are only allowed to happen in the security of Restormal Castle or Launceston Castle, which is still occupied on the eastern border. And finally, the Duke of Cornwall, the Black Prince, actually stays there at Restormal more than once. And some of these seem to be quite nice occasions. In 1354, for example, he stays there 
for several months in the summer. And he receives the homage of landowners in Cornwall. They come to the castle and presumably go into the great hall inside the circular inner bailey and kneel before him and hold their hands together. And he clasps his hands around them and they promise to be his men, you know, to be loyal to him. There's another visit that takes place in 1362. In fact, includes Christmas 1362, and it runs through until April 1363. He's the Black Prince at that time. He's on his way out of the country to Aquitaine in southern France, which is another area that he owned. He'd been made the Duke of Aquitaine by Edward III. And the year before this visit, he got married. He'd married a lady, Princess Joan of Kent who was a beautiful lady, very, very well-dressed, as much commented on this marriage, that actually he'd married someone who was below him in status because he was so much in love with her. He married her for love. And she accompanies him to Restormal Castle and stays there for several months, almost as if it were a bit like a honeymoon. So actually, you know, the fact that it's this beautiful place, it's got leisure, it's very sophisticated, and it's in this lovely location Written, you know, within within the secluded confines of a park, it actually, you know, it tells us. I think, you know, it's got a real atmosphere to it at that time, and I think it's quite nice that the White Book of Cornwall actually gives us all these details that evoke some of the sophistication and splendour of Restormall at that time. Right. How long does Edward the Black Prince have the castle? How long does he live? He dies in 1376, and. In the following year, King Edward III also dies. So the fact that the heir to the throne has died just before means that we skip a generation. The next king is the child, Richard II, who obviously doesn't have any heirs. So the Duchy of Cornwall disappears for a bit. It becomes royal for a so, and it doesn't come back until the middle of the 15th century. In the middle of the 15th century, in the reign of King Edward IV, we have a sort of a little bit more repairs of action. There's quite a lot of detail about all of this, but that really feels to me like the last hurrah of Restormal Castle, that things are now starting to go downhill quite fast. In the very end of the 15th and the beginning of the 16th century, relations between the English royal government and the people of Cornwall take a turn for the very, very far worse. There are rebellions that take place in 1497, and in 1548 and 1549. And in all of those rebellions, the Cornish actually really shake up the English royal government, but ultimately they're not able to prevail against them. And the English royal government takes fairly hideous reprisals against the people of Cornwall. It's a quite terrible time. There are a lot of executions and, you know, it's, it's a violent time. Restormal Castle probably didn't play a role in, in any of this time. And as far as we can see, by the 1530s, the castle itself had been allowed pretty much to fall into ruin. In the 1530s, King Henry VIII breaks up Restormal Park and he lets it out to tenants as pasture land. It has a last moment of action in the 17th century, and that's during the English Civil Wars, when Restormal Castle was captured by royalists from the Army of Parliament. The Parliamentarian Army had only very briefly come into Cornwall, that Cornwall was very royalist through the whole of the civil war but there's a brief moment when the parliamentarians led by the earl of essex not elizabeth the first earl of essex but a later member of the family who's a great champion of parliament he leads a military expedition into the center of cornwall and he manages to take over the town of restormall and they take over restormall castle and possibly fortify it though i think most of the castle must have been a ruin at this time they may have managed to tidy up some bits of it. So the block where the chapel 
had been. I think they may have mounted cannon on the roof or maybe fired muskets there. But whatever happens, we know that there was an exchange of gunfire between royalists and the royalists were successful. So the royalists take over Restormal Castle. And after this point, it's never maintained or used again. What happens to it in the 17th and 18th century is it becomes a romantic ruin. It becomes an attractive landscape feature in the background of a much more comfortable house down in the valley, Restormal Manor or Trinity House, which I think was built in the 16th or 17th century on the site of where the Black Prince's favourite hermitage would have been. The name Trinity given to the house is also the dedication of the hermitage and there is one particularly fat wall within the building that may suggest that it's actually got bits of a medieval chapel inside the manor anyway that's where people are living and the ruined castle with vegetation you know softening the feel of the stonework of its walls sat up on the hill above it It it's a beautiful landscape feature and that's pretty well how it continues that it's only in the 1920s and 1930s when the Duchy of Cornwall and the Office of Works actually make an arrangement that the Office of Works will take over the management of the ruin, will clear away the vegetation, will mend the walls and maintain it as a ruin. And that's pretty well how it's operated nowadays. Just going back to the, briefly to that civil wars period, do you think it's possible that, that was the only military action that took place at the castle in its entire history? Yes, it's not a particularly you know, illustrious record, is it? But actually, it's not unusual. There are quite a lot of castles that don't really have much of a military record. I suppose it is possible that, as I say, if I'm right, that the castle was founded during the period of the 12th century called the Anarchy, there may have been a bit of fighting around then. And certainly in the 13th century, around the time when Richard, Earl of Cornwall, takes it over, I think people do seem to be sort of strutting in a rather aggressive and provocative manner at one another. But I don't think there's ever a sort of big set piece siege or anything else like it. I mean, in truth, the architecture of the castle isn't like that, that the wall of Restormal Castle as it survives is quite low. It's got a ditch around the perimeter, which is quite deep. It would be quite hard to get out of once you'd actually climb down into it. But, you know, it's not a major castle. Its walls weren't big enough or thick enough, I think, to have resisted any very substantial siege. So it's quite lucky in its way that it's only this fairly minor skirmish in the 17th century that happens. And maybe it's for that reason that although it's ruined, the castle actually comes to us in remarkably good condition. There are no gaping holes in the walls. And actually, the circuit of buildings around the interior survives substantially enough that someone like me can come along and reconstruct quite a lot of it. So I can see that building with the big fireplace was where the kitchen was. That building, which is much bigger than all the rest of them, would be in the Great Hall. These buildings would be some of the three chambers above cellars that the caption of Sazin document describes and so on. Actually, putting the document and the building together, you get a really quite good sense of the building and how it was used. And certainly it gives us the feeling of life in the Middle Ages, once you know what you're looking for, that tells you something really quite interesting about actually life at the highest levels of aristocracy and royalty during that period. Yes, and the interesting thing, I think, as well, is that it's been a ruin for longer than it was really in use by the sounds of things. Well, that's true, but that's not unusual either. But I think we're very lucky that it's it's history in a way so uneventful that actually it comes down to us in, in, in such a good state. 
So just as, as we wrap up then, Jeremy, how strong are the links now between Stormwall Castle and the Duchy of Cornwall? Well, I think they're very strong. And it's a connection that I speak to people that work at the Duchy from time to time. And I think I get the distinct feeling that they are as, as enthusiastic about emphasising this. As I've said, historically, it wouldn't exist in its present form without the Duchy. But it's still a really important place for them. So, for example, the western district of the Duchy of Cornwall, the people who manage it actually do it from Restormal, not the ruined castle, but just at the foot of the castle hill, there's a farm complex which has been converted into a whole number of other buildings, and that's where these people work from. Restormal Manor, which I said, or formerly called Trinity House, is occasionally, I understand, and people will correct me if I've got this one wrong, when the present Duke of Cornwall his Royal Highness Prince Charles comes to stay, Restormal Manor sometimes is the place where he will stay. And people say, you know, it has a whole sort of different feel to it when he's there, around there. And the historic park at Restormal is all, importantly, still within the Duchy estate. And visiting it now, you can actually walk around it. They really encourage you to do so. So there's lovely woodland walks that will take you from one hill, Restormal Castle, down into the valley, across a bridge, across the River Foy. And then on the opposite slope, the duchy has, in recent years, built itself a whole facility up there called the Duchy of Cornwall Nursery. It's got a shop and a cafe, and it's a nursery. It's where they grow, you know, important other plants. And there's many reasons I would commend you to go to the duchy nursery. But if nothing else, it's also got some of the best views back across the valley to the castle that you can ever imagine. And the duchy, my good friend, the head forester, who I, I, I just hoped was going to be able to come on this podcast. Maybe we'll be able to do one with him actually later on at Restormal. Great he idea. Could talk, <laughs> he could talk really interestingly about the uses of the estate. That whereas once in the pollen time, it was all about hunting. It's not about that at all now. It's to do with the felling of trees. Nowadays, is isn't going to be for fuel or for building timber. They're much more interested in ecology and sustainability. And they manage the whole thing very, very sustainably. So they're very interested, I think, in playing up some of these historical connections. But it very much is also a place, you know, thinking about the future of the institution of the Duchy of Cornwall as well. And I know that when I talk to them, some of the staff and officials do think of Restormal as the birthplace of the Duchy. It was here right at the beginning. It's still here now. I think, you know, we might even speculate that if the Black Prince were to be here today, of course, there's lots of modern things. There's a modern railway line running through the middle that I think he would find rather terrifying. But I think he might recognise quite a lot of what we still have. It's not a place that only lives in the past. The Duchy is a contemporary organisation. Its staff are quite passionate about passing it on to the next generations as well. And Restormal is a place whose historical roots all that said, are very close to the surface and still really easy for us to appreciate. Yes, and speaking of that appreciation, how does one appreciate Restormal Castle today? What can visitors see and do? Well, I strongly recommend anyone who comes, I mean, you will probably, if you want to come by public transport, you can do that because it's only a walk of about 20 or 25 minutes and a very beautiful 20 or 25 minutes from the main railway line station at Lost Withiel. But other than that, you drive up to the car park and what you will see as you go through our new timber visitor building, you're actually walking across part of the lost outer bailey of the site, which is now a beautiful plantation of trees with also flowers and, and other bushes, partly quite ornamental, as you see. But formerly, that's where 
part of the castle was. It's where some of the main buildings were. But you will quickly see it open out into a clearance. And then in front of you is the the ruin of the circular Restormal Castle. And we've put in interpretation around the site that hopefully makes some sense of what you're looking at, that you can explore the remains of all of the ruined buildings as you go around. So as I say, the kitchen, the great hall, all the chambers, the chapel, these are all identified for us. And then a real high point, I think, of this is that you can climb up a timber staircase up onto the wall walk and you walk around and look through the battlements. You have this absolutely 360 degree view of the landscape and everything that you see out there is within the historic park of the Duchy of Cornwall. The, the castle is beautifully sited, very carefully sited, so that the views out from it were all within the park or down the valley to the town of Lostwithiel. And I, I think it's not sort of over-romanticising to imagine that if you were Earl Edmund of Cornwall or you were the Black Prince, that actually, you know, you stood up there thinking, mine, all mine, you had created this world in which so many things that are dear to you were there, that there you are, you're in this castle. And it's a place of sophistication, but also a place of safety and a place of comfort. Around you is the hunting park where, okay, you've got leisure, you've got food, you've got resources such as timber, but also you've got hermits there who are praying for your soul in the afterlife. And just down the valley, at least at the point when the valley was still navigable, the town of Lostwithiel, where the tin that has been brought down from Bodmin Moor actually was processed and and taxed and all that lot and it's bringing money into you so you're kind of you know at the center of your own you know little world and i think still once you know what you're looking at you can actually get some sense of that today it's a truly remarkable place you've been listening to the english heritage podcast Next week, we'll find out how English Heritage's great barns of the past brought in the harvest. You've to let me drive the tractor. One man on the dray, one man throwing the stooks, the sheaves up. So it saved them a month. I didn't get paid for that. I did it purely for my pleasure. Thanks for listening. See you next time.